Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of Directors Club. I am Jim Laskowski, and I am very excited to be discussing two recent movies that uh, all of my guests have seen, and we're going to uh, dissect them from uh, different points of view. Joining me on this bonus episode are some of my favorite people to talk movies with, including Mr. Kurt Halfyard from the Row 3 Cinecast. Welcome back, Kurt. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Very, very good. Welcome. All right. And Jay Cheel from the uh, documentary blog and, of course, the Film Junk podcast. Hey, Jay. Hi. <laughs> and lastly, Zach Batanti from the Film Jive podcast. Hey, Zach. Hey. Uh, thank you very, very much for having me on. I feel like I'm living the movie podcast dream right now, recording same. with the three of you. Oh, yeah. same here. So I've been listening to all these shows for so long, so I'm like the little fish with all the sharks all of a sudden. <laughs> so it's a little intimidating, I guess. Uh, oh, no, don't but. feel intimidated at all. We're all equals here. And we're uh, very excited, and we're all going to be talking about two interesting films. And I, I sort of stated before we recorded anyway, but for the listeners, um, we're, I'm kind of going to bypass the usual sort of plot synopsis um you know the summaries basically for the purposes of just saving time in hopes that you've seen these films or at the very least heard about them by now and to the you know to everyone out there this is going to be a full-on spoiler discussion for for the both compliance and the imposter uh but i'm going to promote this episode once again later once both of these movies are available on DVD and Blu-ray. So, uh, I also, you know, I also think that it's 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 interesting with especially with the first film we're going to be discussing, Compliance. And maybe this is just my own opinion. I actually feel like it's okay to know the back. I mean, maybe with both films, it's okay to know the backstory going in to you know just you know because they're based on true stories, true events. Reading up on them. And seeing some of the news footage might even give you a better context but behind the uh, intention and seeing what the directors are bringing with these stories personally. Um, so in my opinion, these are two of the very best films of the year, and they, they sort of revolve around con man stories in a way. And uh, they came around; they came out pretty much around the same time here in, in, in Chicago. And I saw them uh, within the same weekend, pretty much. And they're both very different in the way they um, present themselves and divulge the information. And I had the pleasure of hearing some of my favorite podcasters uh, discuss them, and I read some reviews about both of these movies. And for the most part, everybody's kind of in agreement that the stories themselves are fascinating, in a truth is stranger than fiction kind of way. And I've noticed that at least with Compliance, which is the first film we're going to be talking about, there is a little bit more uh, disagreement, a little bit more criticism, a lot of questions regarding plausibility or the, the way the director presents the material. Now, for me personally, I think going in with an avid interest in sort of the more sociological or psychological implications is kind of what made the movie very compelling to where I guess the subject matter alone is enough to give this movie kind of an avid recommendation. It's a movie 
that was asking me to comply with what was taking place in terms of whether I could buy this scenario. And maybe it's all subjective to the viewer whether they're going to buy what they're seeing here. And that's why it creates anger or disbelief. But I was slowly unnerved and kind of disgusted as things were playing out. It really worked on me. And I'm not saying it's a be- you know it's better to walk in knowing the backstory or even having knowledge about something like the Milgram experiment but it's it, it is a a film that worked on me emotionally and i think that made me overlook some of the questionable directorial choices that i know uh jay pointed out in his review and um i think the only quibble i have is something you know that was kind of brought up in in an interview which the director didn't really make specifically clear and it was kind of an interesting choice he didn't he decided not to show the um the actual sexual abuse that took place during a specific moment and i didn't really care for the cutaway to like the straw and the uh dirty dishes in that in that moment uh that was kind of the only i don't know it didn't work for me i didn't think it was a good choice in his part uh but i I guess my overall feelings of the film, despite it's not like a, an incredibly original presentation in like, you know, something like in the vein of a Von Trier or Michael Haneke, I, I still think it provoked me in a way that wasn't manipulative, but I think it's very relevant. I think it's kind of necessary for people to see just so they know what authority does to the human psyche or why we fall prey to submission because we all want to be these people pleasers and uh, to almost like to simplify it in a way. It's almost a film about exactly why anytime I see a cop car in my rear view mirror, I immediately slow down <laughs> and panic a little bit. Nobody wants to deal with authority figures directly. And I think compliance is, uh, is an effective film. And I really, really think it's worth discussing further. And uh, I want to turn it to Jay, because I know he had a, a different take on the way this director approached this story. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a few weeks removed from the film at this point. Um, but I mean, I can still say, I think, probably four main points, uh, which are problems for me with the movie. One of them you already brought up is the cutting away from the sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that kind of was a bit of a cop out. Um, yeah. I didn't think that the, the performances were solid overall. I thought that the woman, the manager was good when she was doing these sort of everyday uh, duties of her job and engaging in small talk with people. And I love the end though, that last scene of her just small talking the interviewer, but whenever she had to express concern or, um, any emotions beyond just her every everyday work attitude. I felt she kind of lost it a little bit. Hmm. The other thing is there's something about the idea of fictionalizing something that's stranger than fiction. And this came up at the hot docs screening of the imposter um, because that film was fictionalized a couple of years ago, but I don't think many people saw it. So there was a question at the, the Q and a, asking why they chose to shoot this as a documentary when they've included so many reenactments. And his answer was just that, like the the story is so crazy that you would not believe it if it 
was fictionalized. It would just seem like a script that is unreal that you, you wouldn't be able to get into. And I felt that that's what the result was for me, even though I was well aware of this story, just the way it was handled, it felt like some of what was happening was kind of removed by putting it into the mouths of these actors and not getting to hear the real people tell the real story. It just seemed to make it unbelievable, even though it happened. Um, so that I think that was probably my major complaint or major problem with the film is I really felt that a documentary would have been a better way to go with this. I think that's only three things, but Can I I'll stop you right start there? there. Yeah, Kurt, go ahead. Yep. There's, um, there's something about your last point that I completely disagree with. Uh, I, I don't know if Craig Zobel made compliance to tell this particular story. I think what makes compliance a great film or a great piece of art is that the story is told so that the viewer feels exactly the same situation about continuing to watch the film as the fast food employee feels about to continue to stay, quote unquote, imprisoned in the back room. Uh, Based on that, I know even at... um, my screening, which was well past Compliance's festival run, but before its commercial run, kind of in a almost in a no man's land there, uh, the, you could feel that sort of tension in the room. And, yeah. and I think that this movie exists as a psychological experiment with the audience. And you can cry foul on that. I mean, is that a valid reason? But I, I think it's interesting. I think it's what separates this movie from almost every other movie is that you feel this you you have to do it fictionally to get that anger across like there's there's you do? there's less res- i think i think there's less respect and more anger if if you're if you're watching something that you know is a created fiction even if it's based on true story because then you have the element of well uh, the audience thinking well they're embellishing here or this is bullshit or like the the, the most common complaint i think about people walking out of compliance if i can put thoughts into their head uh is that people stand up and go this is fucking bullshit and they walk out i i find when you are watching a documentary there is far more forgiveness because you're watching quote-unquote real people and that and i think by fictionalizing it you get an extra element of power that you wouldn't if you film this as a documentary let me jump in for a sec i would say that i would rather be this is bullshit be lobbied at the the people engaged in the act than the film itself wouldn't you well i don't i know actually i i don't know where i stand on that um i i maybe but i i think that there's something interesting about an experiment where you rail against the experiment because i mean uh, jim brought up the milgram <laughs> experiment yeah. before and you know the film is kind of well what really happened is in a way its own little authority Milgram experiment, but then the film itself becomes a Milgram experiment for the audience, and I think that's kind of a that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's kind of wankery too, but I I, I, I kind of love the idea that a movie and, and the imposter kind of goes there as well. That's what makes these such an interesting pair of films to talk about. But I, I kind of like the idea. Um, I kind of like the idea of that, and I, and I find it curious that Lars von Trier, also which Jim mentioned earlier, and who uh, that. That he never got here first, in a way. So, I mean, hats off to Craig Zobel and team for for sort of uh, getting this little story um, out there. And in terms of the cutting away from the sex scenes, 
and uh, the issue that Jim had on that. I'm not sure where I stand on that. I, I, I in a way, making explicit would make them film ac- acutely uncomfortable. But I don't know. There's there's something about uh, watching a film like. Um, Dead Ringers, which doesn't really have anything explicit, and, and, and it leaves implication. Now, yeah, maybe you can question the idea of using such a sort of blunt sight gag, but um, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I think when you're into the movie, uh, the fact that it it plays that coy is worse, in my opinion. Well, yeah, maybe it's creepier putting... to have it play out in your mind. Yeah, yeah then you're just watching a, you know, then you're just watching a sex scene. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I find explicit... Stuff like that, I, I tend to tend to get into sort of gorehound horror movie bullshit mode, which I hate. Yeah, like where people are watching, you know, and, well, and that was a complaint leveled against compliance is that you're, you know, you're you're complicit in watching Dreamo Walker be humiliated fictionally on film, and are you supposed to take enjoyment out of that? I, I think you know, um, it's 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 certainly complicated. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious because uh, we haven't heard from Zach yet, and I don't know his uh, his take on this film, and I'm wondering what he feels overall too. I didn't necessarily dislike Compliance. I thought it was engaging while I was watching it, but I have a huge problem with questioning whether it's really all that well crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's it's extremely one dimensional, and like Jay was saying, the entire time I was watching this, I couldn't help but keep thinking this would have made a far more fascinating documentary than fictional film for me and i don't necessarily think i should hold that against it but i didn't think that the film made a lot of interesting use with its source material um and i i think this film has only become so controversial and discussed because it features characters doing unbelievable things Rather, it being a really well-made film with something to say that features characters doing unbelievable things, if that makes any sense. Um, And I actually, I almost wish I didn't know that this was based on true events. Because I I found that title card at the start of the film to be incredibly distracting. And it just kept raising the question in my mind while watching it, like, why am I watching a fictional take of this? Um, but, But I think the big problem for me is that it botches some really key aspects that ultimately took me out of the movie at a certain point because for the first 30 minutes uh i'm guesstimating there i was really engaged in this and then we see pat healy and Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know what it is but pat healy for me it's it's not necessarily his performance but that casting decision is like a snowball effect and i think once that caller for me was revealed all that suspense that the film had going for it is just evaporated and it can't sustain anything like that for, for the rest of the time. And it's just, it's the way his character carries himself with this confident attitude that he's got this very nerdy haircut, the wardrobe, the office space. Um, he just turns into that sort of perverted Hollywood bad guy caricature. And, um, to me, all all villains in films that that aren't necessarily physical threats to their protagonists look a lot like how Pat Healy does in Compliance. And once once I saw him, I completely lost interest in his character and most of what he was saying on the phone from there forward. Now, the the problem that I see with revealing that identity of the caller is that it allows the audience to know more than the characters. 
So we now know that this is all a facade. And to me, it transitions from a really suspenseful thriller to a movie about psychological head games. And the problem that I have with that is that you cannot visually show me how this man is convincing these people to do this and why these people are agreeing to perform these acts. And I can't see what's happening in their heads. I can go read about psychology behind why people think that things like this happen, but within the context of the film, there's no explanation. And there's not even an attempt to establish a convincing argument that would help answer those questions. And, and at that moment, it lost me. And I don't like either how whenever Pat Healy does appear, it's almost comical. You know, the sandwich mm-hmm. with the mustard, or he runs out of minutes. Um, it, it, it just, it, it suddenly made me want to judge everyone involved instead well, of feeling like I was a part of this experience. Well, that's the point of the film, though. I, I, I'm completely and utterly convinced, and you can argue on whether that is good or bad. Uh, it certainly differentiates compliance from your normal film, and I believe all of those artifices, that, that massive, based on a true story title card at the beginning, the fact that you are in a capacity to know more because you can just go right, but right to the record um, and you know read about this before going in, and maybe maybe people have because it's the type of movie that you don't accidentally wander into you you people that generally go to see the film are are at least somewhat aware of either a what the story was or b the fact that the film is shocking like i mean the film is now sold on its audience reaction so everything that you described as a criticism i believe is the raison d'etre of the film itself in that the filmmakers are looking to challenge an audience conception rather than simply tell the story and putting things in there like uh, Pat Healy and, and, and a direct, like the movie plays coy, like you said, for the first half hour, but then it, and, and then it sort of peels the layer and say, okay, now we're moving the experiment up to level two and now we're moving it up to level three. Yeah. And I believe there's, there's, there's a direct sense of that. And what it makes compliance even more interesting is that you don't have to go and read about a psychology textbook. You don't have to go. The movie works that you intuitively whether whether it's conscious or unconscious you're aware that you're being fucked with when you watch that movie (laughs) and your awareness of being fucked with is a feedback loop into whether or not your tolerance for continuing to watch this movie you know will will rise or fall and again I, i i come back to the fact that the the bizarre reaction that people that particularly people that have issues with the movie is in my you know, maybe I'm overly rationalizing, but I, I believe that that's that's the only intent of making a movie like this, and and that's again what makes it interesting. If if people and and now you're getting into like funny games territory, um, which yeah. I which I know people hate, but but this movie is never as um, fourth wall breaking as funny games is it doesn't rub your nose in you know are you enjoying this are you like that which which is the way Henneke does in his film it actually does carry the veneer of telling you the story but i believe it has all of those funny games intentions <laughs> i wasn't sure about I, that i wasn't sure that was the thing is like in my mind watching this movie um i was i, I was definitely having those instances of uh questioning the intentions of the director is he is is he setting out to basically push the boundaries of suspension of disbelief and 
you know, part of me does wonder if a better movie could have been made from this material, but I'm not going to deny the fact that the movie I watched worked on me. Um, I think I think I felt a tension and certain claustrophobia when we're more confined to the back room than cutting away to Pat Healy, and I think that maybe if he decided to not cut to Pat Healy, maybe it would have been a stronger movie. Uh, but I think... It's but it would be a lesser experiment. Right. This is, this is the balance of the film. Uh, and, and, and I mean, I, it's perfectly valid to criticize it for being this way, but I believe being this way is why we're talking about it. We wouldn't be talking about it if it was just another film. I just felt that, I mean, there's nothing... I, I was never shocked with anything I was watching on screen. And I was never... There was not a single character in this movie that I felt even slightly relatable to. And and again, maybe that's the intent, but it just didn't work for me. I mean, because everybody in this movie is a stereotype. Um, they even transformed the, the girl into a, a stereotype, which I think lessens, a yeah. Yeah, lessens her experience. They give her the, you know, kind of slutty attitude and the cell phone. And I, I thought that was a big mistake. And uh, in, in terms of it being an experiment, I mean... I don't see how anyone could really go into this movie with that sort of, you know, I'm torn because I'm really entertained by this, but it's such a, you know, horrible thing that's happening to this girl. It's not the same thing as Funny Games because Funny Games is is playing on different genre conventions and playing off of films that are designed to be entertaining. This one, I think, is more of just a... I don't know who would get entertainment, pure entertainment out of this, especially the way it's presented in this film. And that's why I think that if you're going to make a film that's going to be just as an experiment to see how far you can push your audience, why why do you have to take this crazy real-life story and use that when you could just make up a story that could be just as weird and unique and interesting and then just leave the crazy real life story to be told as a crazy real life story. Like, why does well, it have to be? Why because does it have to be a true story to ha- to to have this experiment? Because Lars von Trier has made all those other movies. <laughs> so he's we're we're done with. <laughs> no, no, but I, I'm just I'm just saying that it, it adds another layer. It, it does add another layer um, when you do this and and who knows maybe maybe it did started maybe the film started out i mean it's hard to i, I guess without talking directly to the to, to the d- director and and screenwriters but maybe it did start out that they liked the idea of that story and then it just evolved into this over time i'm not saying that they set out to do this from day 1 but i i will say that the movie becomes interesting because that has been done well i i don't know if i would say interesting because even within the body of the film, this idea of this caller telling people what to do becomes very uninteresting in a, from a cinematic perspective very quickly because it results in someone on the other end of the line saying, tell her, tell her to do this. And then that person's saying to her, he told me to tell you to do this. And then she does that and repeat. <laughs> like, it it's just the same thing over and over again, which I think is why this film is not inherently interesting as a fictionalized story. I think that if they had left it for a documentary, 
the power of that footage and the power of actually talking to these people after the fact and finding out why they did what they did and and so on would have been more interesting Hmm. and it would have potentially avoided this sort of cycle of just information the telephone game information being passed from one person to the other and then to the other and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth this is not interesting to me it it got boring for me it got a little tedious because it's problematic it's a problematic scenario because i i don't know that they could have done it any better I think it's just that this story is so tiny and it has so many restrictions that this is all you can do with it. Like there's a guy on the phone that's telling people to make this girl do things. How else do you show that but have them repeat it over and over and over? Well, they certainly do. Uh, <laughs> they they rely on the cutaways to people eating their food or they, uh, you know, focus on how busy everything is. And this is another reason why people are so easily distracted or why the the her, the manager she's like well let's have somebody else take care of this situation i can't deal with it because i have to take care of the restaurant um i mean there's other but even yeah. but even that got tedious for me as mm-hmm. well like especially all the the employees sort of every 10 minutes sort of looking at each other oh what's going on with sandra i don't know what's going on i mean it just it repeats itself i think just Can in I- every aspect of its story can I rationalize this on some, again, a uh, high level of wankery? Uh, it's an experiment. Zone? No, <laughs> as an experiment to you, gentlemen. But one of the elements that I pulled out of this movie is that there is a certain zone in, in, a, in the Western world, in America, uh, of um, sort of lower middle class, um, lack of empowerment, Mm-hmm. Uh, where 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 you don't even have the tool set to fully question because again they 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 spend a lot of time in the first twenty minutes showing the pressures on Ann Dowd's character showing the pressures on um, Dream Walker's character and the idea of cutting away and showing a the idea of repeating because that's what a McJob is oh, it's yeah. an endless rep- repetition of the same tediousness and b the the confusion and lack of knowledge of the other employees and that in repeat it it, it actually does all play to the what compliance works on a different level from the Milgram experiment and, and that is the uh the fact that uh you know this is the real shitty ugly um mushy middle side of of where capitalism is and and i think that there's an, a whole nother element of the movie that brushes up against that sort of zone of where a lot of people are in this area where they where they they're not stupid but they don't have either the confidence empowerment or or um knowledge or or or, or whatever to be able to stand up and then when you get some i mean you get it a little bit with the one kid where he's like okay that's 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 it yeah, it's not cool. Um, and, and he's like, "This, there's something wrong here." Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this movie couldn't take place, you know, in a lot of other. Like, the, there's a per- perfect storm of circumstances that allows for this to go, and the way that the film is constructed, it draws to me attention to that particular perfect storm. Just like there's a subset of American television shows or American movies that would not happen in a country that has socialized medicine like Breaking Bad wouldn't exist if it, you can't have a Canadian Breaking Bad because the pressures that are on Walt at the beginning of that show um, 
our, our unique circumstance in, in America. you know capitalism yeah. gone wild and and uh, not necessarily just America, uh, but but I mean that particular adherence to every person for themselves and mm-hmm. you know everyone is not starting or has the same tool set to to get where they're going to go and I believe whether this was intended or not I do find it a fascinating offshoot and I think that is tied into how it's constructed again I don't know if it's intended but it's there and if it's there it's 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 there it doesn't matter whether it's intended no I I, I responded to that very very much so I think but I think in terms of you know the the the, the sort of um, monotony of it all. I, I don't know. I almost feel like because I reached a certain level of investment in what was taking place in that room, and I almost wonder if I just adapted to the rhythm of the movie, and uh, I didn't really have a negative response, or didn't feel like it dragged, or I didn't think it became tedious. It was just that's what's happening right now, and you're in the moment, and that's what it would feel like in the in those circumstances. Whether or not that makes for a consistently uh, entertaining experience or a, a movie that sort of has a certain uh, pace that feels right, I don't know. I, I, for me, it, it, it worked in, in terms of the way it uh, built over time, and I knew eventually we we're going to get to the uh, climax. The and, straw. Yeah. The straw close-up. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate climax. Yeah, and I, I know it's crazy how I mean, especially if you do further research or watch the uh, the news story, and you see more than that 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 actually you see in the movie itself. You get even further context, and you see actual you know uh, the actual security camera footage from the McDonald's incident. And it it's it's insane. It is just ridiculous to know. Which is what makes it even more frustrating. Yeah. That this movie does not match that level of insanity. It yeah. it by being a movie with movie stars nullifies that level of insanity. And to choose to put that aside in place of wanting to have a, a, a wankery experiment with your audience, to me is like a, a big misstep and a lost opportunity i mean just to to watch the the security cam footage of what actually happened is a million times more interesting than what happens in this film and it is you know a, a million times more dull i suppose because there's no sound so and it's one shot the and Harmony so on but there's it's a powerful thing what happened what, what I, was, you know, what, honestly, I don't even know. I don't even know if there needs to be a documentary. Like, I just think it's an interesting thing that happened. Like, I probably would have been fine with just reading the story and seeing the footage and seeing some interviews with people. I just don't know that it had to be a film. Well, the, if, it, if experiment or not, the film worked on me, <laughs> and it gave me a lot to think about. And a, you know, it's a it's a movie that I want to pass on to people simply for the conversation. And clearly, even if there's disagreements, I I like the fact that we're having this conversation, and I love it when a movie can provoke these kinds of thoughts and discussions. But doesn't it suck that the conversation is less about why these people did what they did and more about the choices of the filmmaker? Uh, I th- no, I, th- I think that comes up because 
you know, especially when you think of, man, there's so many other, uh, even just, even just reading a memo at work recently, the word compliance to uniforms (laughs) or something comes up. I mean, it just, that, that word, or just, you know, you think of it in terms of many, like, uh, news stories and, the uh, Sandusky incident at Penn State. They're just you can you can throw this uh, scenario into. Well, obviously this happened seventy times um, in other in other this scenario. Bring up this scenario. Bring up this scenario. Even if you just throw the plot synopsis to people who have no idea or haven't heard of it before or haven't heard of this movie, they don't believe it. Um, but it's happened, and, and that's what's incredible about it as well. I mean, I think we can just sort of quickly go, you know, give our final thoughts overall on the movie, and we'll start with Zach this time. Um, well, I def- I've been pretty negative, but I do think it does have some good things going for it. I, I do like Anne Dowd. I really love yes, the absolutely. final scene of the movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Um and like I said, I was I was engaged for the majority. Um, I just I don't think it's nearly as good as as some are herald, heralding it to be. And uh, like I said, I think the best thing about it is it sparked discussions like this. But it just I don't know. I I left the theater with really nothing coming out of this. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> uh Kurt, go ahead. Well, uh, I think that. Uh, you know, Craig Zobel is a is a fictional filmmaker, not not a documentary filmmaker, and a, and a, and on one make the film, however he's going to make it. But and on the other hand, it, it's just the way that we are that there's probably more people going to see it if it's told in conventional film language than it, than if it were a documentary. Um, so I mean, there's those reasons. Uh, but I, I, I those reasons aside, I think the the final film is. An interesting, challenging, uh, fully and captivating. It's not, you know, it's not like the film is two and a half hours long. I, I, I can't. I, I was never bored or or an otherwise unengaged. In fact, because I had all these other different levels playing at the same time, like you know, they're actually going to film this. You know, and I'm thinking, well, how much are they going to show the actress? And yeah, I, I've got a, a filmmaking sort of analytical sense, but I, I, I don't see that as necessarily a problem. When I'm watching a movie, and there is still the basic nature of what filmmaking is, is that you know it's an em- empathic or a challenge to your own empathy. That's generally what you what happens when you watch a movie, right? You look at people's faces, sure. you put yourself in that situation, and you feel for these people or 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 not, whether they're fictional characters or whether they're the real people talking in hindsight about the situation. And and I, yeah, I, I don't feel that this. Personally, from my experience on the film, I, I don't feel until I see the documentary of this, I can't really say. Well, if it was made as a documentary, it would be better. Um, so, uh, so Jay, na 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 na. Well, I will say that I, I also I didn't hate the film. Like I, I there are things problems I have with it, but you know, overall, I thought it was okay. But the idea of empathy and, and empathizing with these people. I mean, I think I just would have an easier time doing that if the performances, the writing, the craft, the fake chicken 
place logos and all of that stuff didn't get in the way and if i could just go right to the source you know go right to the original video right to the original people and try and figure them out versus trying trying to figure out their choices via some character actors that aren't that great well, on a lighter note, maybe, Jay, you might have enjoyed this movie even more if you had seen it in the theater with that guy who uh, made commentary during the uh, your, your Francis Ha screening. Do you remember That's that? That's true. That's true. <laughs> if, if someone was behind me saying, like, oh, he's c- calling her. He's making her do this. He's making her do that. <laughs> I or, had I did have an older guy in my screening of compliance that was sitting in the back and every once in a while you hear him go, Oh, she's gonna be in trouble. <laughs> At a girl. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my experience in the theater, I'd say that my screening was half full. And I mean, it was playing at the Lightbox Cinema in in Toronto, and I mean, I, I imagine that the people that go to it doesn't look like a movie theater from the storefront, and there's nothing about that that resembles a conventional like you don't get walk up customers, I don't think, to Lightbox. So I'm assuming that everyone in this theater was formed, but you still got um, you could feel that tension of watching this movie with an audience, and there were a few people that. I don't know, they either sighed loudly or they made a few people got up and left. Like, I mean, it, it, it's a fascinating group experiment uh, as, as well as an individual viewing. Well, hold on. Um, yeah, if the guy on the phone forced the man to play, to play footsies with her. Imposter, movie that probably could have been called Where the Truth Lies, if that title hadn't already been taken. And if you're familiar with either Six Degrees of Separation starring Will Smith or Clint Eastwood's The Changeling, the plot surrounding this true story would probably seem a little bit familiar. And I will definitely say that, once again, I found this to be an incredibly riveting, compelling often shocking film to to watch. It made me cringe at times, and once again, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It, it It's almost like a study about the art of lying and manipulation and why we choose to believe it. Sometimes just the overwhelming emotion seems to triumph over logic when it comes to those who are, are, are vulnerable or have uh, a hidden agenda, possibly. But uh, this time, we the uh, execution is told in Errol Morris-style documentary. And, you know, again, it's, it's one of the more uh, entertaining and disturbing films I've seen in a while, in which a con man takes advantage of a situation that makes you question the sanity and the plausibility of things overall. Uh, with that said, I think there were just a couple of moments that did make me question the intention of the filmmaker. 
but it wasn't enough to make me, uh, you know, dislike the movie or even bring it down in terms of a star rating in my mind. I think it was just having a couple of instances where I kind of went, hmm, that was uh, that was a little unusual, or I felt inundated with a couple of uh, choices, but. I I was wondering maybe if I was being manipulated for the purposes of great storytelling, which, again, is not to say is a bad thing for the purposes of keeping me invested or drawing me in. Uh, I will say that the reenactments were quite effective. I wasn't put off by them. I've, I've read reviews who have, that have said that they didn't that they weren't a fan of them. Um, it you know it's it, it could make the audience interpret the reality of the situation, but they never bothered me, especially since I they never bothered me when I watched Unsolved Mysteries or something like that. I don't know, um, but here's something I I didn't really like because I felt they were too much at some point. There were a lot of cutaways to to Frederick's face, <laughs> his facial responses. Uh, especially during moments in which other people are being questioned. I just felt like there were a lot of them, and I became very aware that maybe they were gratuitous, and like there was just even moments like when the FBI agent was making comments, we cut to his facial reactions as if he's gloating a bit, and uh, I was wondering why include these when you know the, the questions and comments aren't addressed to Frederick himself. We're just cutting to his face as it, and he's smiling. Uh, it felt a little overbearing to me. Uh, so well, can I just yeah. say maybe why? Because I actually really liked all that stuff. Sure, I, I felt like that was in, intentional in the sense that it was supposed. It was sort of a representation of these two con- the contradictions in the situation. This sort of they say he said sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, be- because I mean, I do, I do think that. Bart Layton is very upfront and very clear that he he that Frederick Bourdain is a liar. He's just a really good one, and um, I, I think the whole movie is sort of the about the art of deception. And um, I mean, I think it's a great film because of that. But I I found all of that stuff to just be um, very thematic and an example of this movie's masterful editing. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to go from there. The uh, the editing in this movie is jaw droppingly good, and that element that you just discussed makes it feel like not like a fifteen year old. You know, we're we're now coming to this story many many years after it has played out. It makes it feel like these characters are in the room. For the first time, even though they're separated across separate interviews, I find it fascinating because I can't think of another documentary that that edits the talking head portions so directly like a conversation, like like you're in the room with all these people simultaneously and the camera's running to the left or to the right rather than, you know, this person's telling this story, this person's telling that story. I think that that gives you a much more sense of an in uh, to the fact that you're right there as opposed to well this happened in 1994 uh, i just i don't know that it's a new thing i i can't think i've seen it anymore and it immediately made me the craft of this movie uh first and foremost is is what i'm like wow that's 
yeah, that is like this guy can play with the um, the Errol Morrises and the um, uh, James Marshes of the world, and 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 he's he's totally like it's a it's kind of a gauntlet throwing movie um, in the sense that he wants to you know the movie is to be already at a certain level of what documentaries you know aren't always. Oh, he definitely elevates the documentary itself. He, you know, he, he, takes, he, he takes a very cinematic approach to it, and it's gorgeous, and it's got a really incredible style and substance. I mean, there's, the, there's incredible use of like the doctored audio. I like the audio editing, especially here, the dropped-out sound and choosing to have you know, the conversation sort of bleed into the reenactments or the actual interviews themselves. Like, I just thought that was something I'd never seen, that technique. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, but again, I do have a friend of mine who has been on the show before who felt like the director's intentions weren't very sound, and he kind of wanted to bring up the issues further after I'd seen the movie. And... Because, again, I was really engrossed with the movie and I was curious about the outcome. I was really invested in what was taking place. I wasn't taken out of it maybe a little bit towards the end, which we'll get to. But I wanted to bring up his point and sort of read uh, his initial response to even what I just brought up. And it says, Because I suspect that Frederick probably did smile a bit when talking about how he deceived people. But the way those images are juxtaposed make him seem inhuman and cruel when he might have just been uncomfortable. There's a fundamental difference between Frederick smiling as he tells the story of how he tricked those people to an English filmmaker whom he just met, who will only be in the same room for a few hours, and who may well have been encouraging him to share the sort of juicy bits of the story, and between responding the same way to a shocked confused family who we as the audience have empathy for which is kind of just this again interesting juxtaposition between what we're seeing and what we're responding to and i've definitely became a little bit conscious of that just because i wasn't sure about why we had to see his face in certain moments other than this is cool editing or this is just um again just like you said zach uh sort of a he said she said kind of a scenario it's a movie about manipulation however so the fact that the filmmakers take it into the filmmaking style um the fact that i mean when hitchcock was making rear window and he had he basically just had a library of jimmy stewart reaction shots which were filmed for different scenes and he just started to play with that I, i i it comes back to compliance on whether you're really hung up on uh, getting out this true story, which you know, this story's got so many sides. It plays like Rashomon at many times. So <laughs> having that element, it, it really, I don't know. I, I don't look at it as a cop out. I look at it as uh, films are lies that tell the truth, and and so they're aiming for their own brand of truth on top of everyone else's brand within the movie. It's a movie about deception and lying and and the art. So why not let the filmmakers get into this particular game? I don't look at it as dishonest. I look at mm-hmm. it as practically necessary to make this film 
this it's way. The, uh, it's the ecstatic truth. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, Jay, what are your overall thoughts? I know you're a fan of the film, so... Um, well, in, in regards to the concerns about truth and manipulation and all of that, I mean, I, I just, the thing that bugs me is there seems to be this idea that documentary filmmakers, cinematic tools, storytelling tools are limited in, com- in comparison to someone dealing with fiction, as though there's this responsibility on behalf of the filmmaker, and because of that, they can't do this, this, and this. And I, I, I'll be happy when that's kind of gone um, and people start accepting that, that documentaries are also films and they're also pieces of entertainment. And, and while some have more of a defined uh, goal, whether it be like a social or political sort of goal or some sort of injustice that they're trying to address and maybe overturn, I think a film like The Imposter is purely designed to tell a stranger-than-fiction story and in a cinematic fashion and and highlight these characters. And, you know, the film doesn't just work because it's got glossy reenactments and a, a cool soundtrack. It's It's the characters. Like, it's Frederick's presentation of his story and the way in which they build a character out of him Mm-hmm. And this this sort of, um, you know, uh, restriction being put on on this documentary filmmaker it is to me just bullshit because, you know, you, you've got a film that's so clearly defined with it in its themes of deception. And and there is a point which I'm I'm guessing what you're kind of leading towards is the accusations towards the family. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also just the way things wrap up too with the, uh, digging of the backyard as well. Okay. Uh, it, but go ahead. I mean, to me, it, it's just, you're seeing the, the perspective of, uh, this con man who's trying to con you into thinking that this family could be behind this mm-hmm. and he's, he's conned. Uh, the private investigator into thinking it and he's still digging holes and (laughs) you know to me it was very clear at the end that okay this guy's been calling people from his jail cell and still doing this same horrendous activity over and over and over and and interfering with people's lives it's clear to me that this sort of perspective this this you know thinking about this family is kind of just his doing. And and there are interesting things that I, I do think help it along that it's like, okay, well, that's kind of curious that, you know, this guy s- said this or wasn't here at this time or blah, blah, blah. But I mean, you could say the same thing about Paradise Lost 2 with Mark Byers and all the coincidences that seemingly had him pegged as the, the killer of those kids. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think that that's another storytelling trick. And it's something that I got caught up in, and I, I think it's perfectly fine for that to happen. And I also think that with the the thing of cutting away to his facial uh, reactions, I'm trying to understand if that's coming from just a, a an aesthetic perspective. Like, I, I just wasn't a fan of it because I felt it was gratuitous, 
or is this an ethical problem? Because it, it seems to me like the the email you read was coming at it from more of an ethical yeah problem. I would which, I would think that's that is more where he's coming from, and and I I and for me it was it was it felt gratuitous. Um, I wasn't taken out of the movie. I, I certainly just became hyper aware of how many times we were cutting away to it. The film I, I just, there's oh, never a point, in my opinion, that those facial reactions misrepresent him. Sure, it might misrepresent what he was doing in that specific moment, but I mean, you start digging that hole, and it's an endless hole. Like the, there are multiple <laughs> things that are not happening that seem like they're happening for editorial purposes. But I never felt like they portrayed him as something he is not. I, I for somebody who did what he did to this family and continued to do so from his jail cell, to say that he was unfairly portrayed as someone who was horrendous or a, a bad guy is kind of ridiculous to me because it, it kind of seems like that explains itself. I mean, his reasoning from his past and, you know, whatever traumas he's gone through and, you know, maybe we could have heard a little more about that to kind of figure yeah. out why he's doing this. But I think his actions speak for themselves and, and those little facial things are more just stylistic flourishes that are character building. Okay. I could buy into that. Again, it's more of just the curiosity of the psychological implications of why he is this way and, you know, what is the purpose of them. And maybe there could be multiple reasons for why they're there. And maybe, again, it is just stylistic touches or editing reasons why, you know, there's 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 many reasons why people have to cut away, you know, to uh, to fill the space or whatever but i just thought people, people seem to have a problem with metaphor in documentary like right. this is this is something that can be played with all you want in fiction and in non-fiction the the sort of metaphorical uh presentation of certain ideas and like imagery to represent things or people doing things to kind of synopsize their opinions or feelings mm-hmm. is considered sort of, um, you know, like manipulative or um, like an untruth. And to me, it's just another filmmaking tool to get at something, to get it. It's what Werner Herzog talks about all the time. It's to get at a truth using the the tools of cinema. Like I I would much rather, you know, have uh, like in uh, Little Dieter Needs to Fly, having him open doors constantly to kind of, get across this idea of him being trapped. Like it's complete bullshit. He, Werner Herzog asked him to do that, but it's a much more graceful and cinematic and more unique and interesting representation of that feeling than simply having him say, I've, I've, you know, this experience left me feeling trapped. Right. Because I think always when you can visually represent something like that, that stays with a viewer much more than if someone just says it. Yeah. Right. And that's that's something that's, you know, it's the classic thing. Show it if, you know, mm-hmm. don't say it. Right. But in documentary, it's hard to do that without, you know, cutting some corners and using the same bag of tools that, you know, the fiction guys get to use. And a lot of people rag on documentary filmmakers for for doing that. But well, I think the imposter is one of those films that you talked about, Jay, that will continue to batter away the lines between 
pe- what people feel a documentary should be and what a documentary can be. Uh, and, and I think that's a good thing. It's even better when the movie is actually about lies and about uh, someone's ability to convince themselves of something. Just like the Milgram experiment aspects of, of the compliance, this movie is asking the audience to start theorizing and, and going where the filmmakers go um, in, a, in a kind of a coy, like, we're just going to manipulate you kind of way and 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 there's a level of humor and absurdism particularly with those reaction uh shot Mm -hmm. cuts that makes to me the imposter feel like the closest i think i've ever seen a documentary come to feeling like a coen brothers farcical comedy (laughs) and i i think that's awesome because there's just why shouldn't why shouldn't we be able to go there i i like the fact that there's these corners within say a documentary space that seem slightly verboten or at least unmined uh that now at least in the past 10 years it feels like so many documentaries are 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 you know racing to colonize all of these spaces and i think that's part of the appeal to me in 2012 of watching something like the imposter because it feels both familiar from a fictional sense and very new from a documentary sense and I just I don't know I take great pleasure in being manipulated by movies I'm only oh, I'm yeah. only offended by a movie when I'm manipulated badly I I'm I'm there to be manipulated I I show up to the lot <laughs> to purchase my heaping of manipulation if if you fail to do that you have failed as a filmmaker <laughs> documentary or otherwise No I I and, I'm, I'm all for it I think part partially though <laughs> it's kind of funny because I was uh thinking about my love of the movie Broadcast News, and maybe I should blame that movie somewhat uh, for implanting this sort of hyper-awareness based on that whole scenario of you know what William Hurt does is basically challenge the newsroom ethics, you know, because he manipulates this, you know, cutaway shot of him crying that gets him all this acclaim, you know, and that 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 whole thing basically ruined Holly Hunter's per- perception of him based on doing this one act, and that ever since I saw that, especially in a film class, and also having taken classes about ethics and things like that too, I always become like hyper aware more in documentaries maybe, but obviously in, in a lot of films too of like just why did we choose to do this cutaway as opposed to you know sticking with just staying on the well even just in the moment where we have we're talking with the fbi agent we could just stay with her we could just stay i mean obviously that's not maybe it's kind of visually less interesting but we could just stay with her in this conversation in this moment and not cut away to him but it doesn't i'm not saying that it makes it a lesser movie i'm not trying to like just harp on this one uh tiny quibble at all but I just wanted to just state for the fact that maybe my own hang-up comes from that sort of, uh, you know, like uh, implant from thinking about overthinking it, you know? <laughs> but I, I think that there's this idea that all documentary is some form of journalism. And I disagree with that. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think some films are are getting at something like, but you put the imposter next to say paradise lost these are completely different 
you know, films that are, sure. are going at different things. Like I would never think that the imposter exists to find the real killer. I, I, I mean, to me, the imposter exists to tell a story and examine characters and, and do it in a cinematic fashion and make you think mm-hmm. the ultimate goal here. And I, I mean, I find my political worldview is almost always far more defined by fictional stories than by documentaries. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, again, the, the whole art is lies that tell the truth is, is an important thing. Uh, you don't have to just be earnest and plant people in front of the camera. And, and, I, and I mean, this story is old enough and, and, and it's not like it's an act of immediate upfront news journalism. I mean, this, 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 this story is not new. There's a large gap of time from when it happened to when the filmmakers decide there's plenty of journalism around this story. They decide sure. to tell it in a new way. I'm saying that like the, you know, the filmmaker is out to trick me in terms of the way it's presenting the story or I'm not even saying manipulation in the pejorative sense at all times. You know, it's like it's it's more of just the kind of conversations sparked from seeing something. Uh, I mean, it's definitely more constructed. Yeah, yeah, and also so overtly constructed. Yeah. Have you seen the ambassador? Has anyone here seen the ambassador? No, not yet. I have no. Like that. That's another film that. Like, like that. That film. The filmmaker and star. The person in front of the camera. It, it runs completely, and I think a little bit tongue in cheek that he runs completely on the ground of unethical journalism, and it it, hmm. it 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 bespeaks into the filmmaking. It bespeaks into the story itself, um, and and I find him endlessly fascinating as both a character and a journalist because of his particular like. It's almost like he's running the opposite direction of what the by the book journalism is thought of to be, and yet I don't know. I think his movies are both entertaining and and also you know worthy of like they make you think too. So you, there's something in the documentary, and maybe it's because of all these socialism and 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 you know issue driven docs that you feel that if as soon as the documentary gets enter to become entertaining, you you you've you've violated some rule, which I I certainly don't agree with. But oh, no, I certainly no, no, no. get that perception that some people. I'm not saying anyone on this podcast, but I you do get the you know the the people that don't think about it too much feel oh. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna make that like super entertaining and and fun and and you're gonna have sight gags. It's it's not a documentary anymore. Well, exit right. through the gift shops. One of the more most entertaining documentaries I've seen in the past few years. And again, where that goes is really interesting to talk about. It's it's you know it's it's I like that there's these incredibly cinematic documentaries out there that are also challenging and interesting and fun to talk about. They're not just presenting, here's the facts, and here's a bunch of talking heads, you know? It all comes back to Orson Welles and, uh, and, oh, and yeah. F for Fake. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's the, I mean, what is that? It, it purports to be kind of everything at once, and uh, it seems to be, not the, it, it, to me, that's kind of where all of this stuff sort of crystallizes with that film in 1973. And these films, uh, they just do, for me, a better job at getting to you know, more human truths and personal truths and like being enlightened by certain things that come out in these movies. Yeah. Whereas the, the social justice films and the political films that are all bar, uh, you know, bar graphs and charts and numbers. What ultimately happens with those films is you make a movie about fracking 
and then it results in a, a like mm. a retort, like a film that's now about the positives of fracking. And then there's a response to that. And it turns into like 10 films giving you conflicting evidence on why it's good and why it's bad and what's wrong and what's right. And like Michael, Michael Moore's films have resulted in tons of people from the other side of that argument making their own films. And it's like, how many fucking films do we need about fracking? You know? like, <laughs> obviously, even just dealing with these things bluntly as you know sound bites and pieces of information is problematic as as much as you even try to keep things completely legit and fact-based you're still going to get a response from people saying well you got this wrong you got that wrong and you twisted this and so i would i'm way more interested in these films that try to explore people rather than numbers but i mean it's always nice to have like gasland i I like gasland because it it has kind of a personal touch to it as well. But um, I don't know. I just think, you know, it's documentaries are are lots of different documentaries that are trying to do many different things. And I don't think they should all be held up to the same level of journalistic standards. Yeah. I mean, again, I wasn't sure. I mean, you were talking about how people have problems with, uh, you know metaphors in uh, in documentaries, and I think the 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 way the way the film sort of plays out at the end with digging the hole in the backyard, and you know the the reality is is that Parker dug that hole, didn't find anything, and and went home. And the movie sort of denies that in order to end on that image that kind of works on you know more of a metaphorical le- level, which which kind of seems a little. I don't know. I, it felt it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I understand why it needs to end on that note because obviously that is what's happening. I mean, clearly he uh, Frederick has created that in them that that uh, in, within the family and within the authority figures that are involved with the case that that, that maybe that that's what the movie should end on. Uh, and, and I just I, love that. It ends just as mysterious as it began. Like, yeah, no, I, I think me, it visually it's great. To be desired, and I don't know. I found it very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Frederick moonwalking or something like an old. Well, that that whole sequence is awesome. That that yeah. final scene or that scene with him in prison, like it's. Re- I assume it's real footage, not film recreated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that 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 is the ultimate like payoff to all of those subtle little reaction shots that you're talking about it's mm-hmm. it's him going oh look what i have done and uh you know and <laughs> here i am i i mean it all it, it makes him look like like some sort of trickster devil which i you know to to people that have been victimized in that unique way that he has victimized people uh again it's is it the absolute truth or is it the what you guys say the ecstatic truth i i i, I love that shot i mm-hmm. i think it's wonderful it, it is just really hard to get across a personality on screen without just having them talking and people responding. Like it, it's it's a challenge when you're shooting a documentary to try and visualize that. And I think that that's just another great way of doing that. I mean, the the other sure. big example that comes up is in Errol Morris's Gates of Heaven. Um, with the one brother who's kind of the overachiever who 
the motivational speaker who's now relegated to working under his younger brother. And he's got that room that's just full of trophies all over the walls. And it's revealed later that Errol Morris actually asked him to take them down from the attic and hang them everywhere, which is a complete, it's, it's completely staged. And it's, you know, I think a lot of people would have a problem with that, but it is a perfect way of, you know, capturing this guy's attitude <laughs> with that visual. I mean, well, even it, even if he didn't have them hanging, it still represents him in a great visual comedic way. I don't think it's, it's, it's a, I don't think it's a lie. It's Errol Morris's Gates of Heaven, and it's Bart Layton's The Imposter. I, I mean, there isn't there a fundamental responsibility of the filmmaker that have, that has done these interviews and collected all this information to now, in some way, distill it into something that now a viewer can process? Like, if yeah, like you, you probably have tons of stuff when you're shooting a film that you, you, for time reasons and pacing reasons, you can't put in. But if you can do some sort of visual shorthand, whether it's fabricated okay. or not, that, that, that does it, then that's valid, right? Like, how do you capture that sense of pride, even that misplaced mm-hmm. pride or that, right. like, without having him or his brother say, say my, it. my brother is a very proud guy. <laughs> right. It's much more fun to see it visually. Um, uh, you know, and often filmmakers, I mean, like, okay, for to use to use Beauty Day, just watching Ralph in his truck drive along, like, the canals there in Welland or whatever, like, that establishing shot gives you tons of information. So right. you're doing it even if it's not faked. You're like, okay, that shot, according to me as a filmmaker, gets what I feel is an important spec to cross. And that's just simple filmmaking, right? Well, even just to expand on that a little bit, in that sequence, we see Ralph walk into his Canadian tire and get in the elevator and he's listening to music on on his headphones and it's Triumph, the Canadian band, just kind of a, a Rush wannabe sort of band that is playing in, in the headphones. But it, in reality, what was playing was the Foo Fighters. But what, is the, what does the Foo Fighters say about Ralph that I'm trying to get across? It doesn't say anything. Ralph is kind of stuck in the past in the film, so having him listening to Triumph just helps that along a little bit without actually having to get someone to just verbalize that. But it's a complete, you know, it's it's a lie, I guess, in terms of the actual what happened. But it helps reveal something about Ralph that is ultimately true. Yeah, and you yes. have the freedom as a, as the filmmaker to make those choices and Unless, you know, you listen to the commentary. I'm not, not every single viewer in the audience is going to know that detail. They're going to believe what they see on screen. And that's also right. that level of investment there in that moment is what counts. And not knowing that detail does not matter at all. Yeah. It's, it's completely insignificant. We're, you know, but just we're, we're people who read into details and we listen to commentaries and we like having these conversations and and the fact is, the experience of watching either of these films is going to r- lead to a lot of discussion, not just about the movies, but the stories and the people involved and even human nature. And we get it caught up in lies and deceit to where we don't even realize it. And I love the fact that there are documentaries that challenge the way uh, either the people on screen or we as viewers can perceive reality or the people around us even with something like uh, Catfish. So I, I think it's important that we 
uh, embrace them even when they're flawed or if they manipulate us sometimes. But I would say I certainly had moments in The Imposter where I was taken out of it, unlike maybe you guys were, that I certainly wondered if the director was pulling the strings in kind of a bad way. But I will definitely say that not once was I uninvolved or not glued to the screen either. So I think that's really um, saying something about the film. I mean, you could say that compliance is a far more conventional presentation, but I, I would say that the imposter is really an incredible uh, documentary told in a very interesting way that I hadn't seen before. There was just certain instances where I was thinking, and I could have also, again, having heard my friend's reservations, that's another thing, too, is like going into movies having heard something or me knowing a little bit about psychology or the Milgram experiment before I saw Compliance and having read a little bit about the true story, does that alone also affect my viewing experience? So, like, there's this Which all is why th- you should never put these constraints on films ever, because it's so silly. Because, yeah, yeah you, I mean, it's the same reason if you're holding a, a film critic for putting their uh, personal information into the review. Well... There's no point in doing this unless you put your personal information. Well, yeah. Any any pretense of objectivity is the biggest lie that you could ever possibly tell yourself. Yeah, you're going to go in who you are. (laughs) You can't change that. So we can just sort of give our final uh, feelings and impressions on on the imposter. Um, Zach, let's start with you again. I know you Um, love this movie and it's probably going to be in your uh, top... Uh, three or four of the year so far, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I totally expect it to stay within the top five by the year's end. Um, Hitchcock's name got thrown a lot around a lot in the last half Hmm. hour. But and I I honestly kind of label this movie as like the best Hitchcockian documentary that Hitchcock never made. Like I, I just thought that this thing was like ridiculously hypnotic. And I told you, Jim, last week when we were talking that it's the only time where I was sitting in a in a movie theater and I literally was like leaning forward in my chair because like I had to get closer to the screen because I was just so mesmer- mesmerized by what I was watching. Um, so, I mean, it's it's just such a unique cinematic experience. And I know that it's, it's moving people that aren't necessarily um, big documentary buffs because I saw with a friend of mine who doesn't generally watch many docs and he came out of that and he said that's the greatest documentary i've ever seen (laughs) i go well i don't know about that but it was really really good um and uh it just everything is operating just in sync visually sonically narratively and uh it's definitely one of the best experiences i've had with a movie this year great kurt go ahead uh to echo that sentiment i took so much pleasure in watching this movie just mm-hmm. by its level of craft uh, and also the fact that the characters are the, the family in particular you you kind of want to vilify them you kind of want to empathize them you really it's really unclear when you're watching the movie the first time where you should actually push your chips <laughs> to empathize around the table because you know there's a point where you you just have to throw people under the bus because they're idiots and this movie 
flirts with that. It never goes there. Like, n- n- never do I feel like, oh, these people deserved or, 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 you know, the one thing that actually gets completely lost in the mix here is the disappearance of the, the actual kid. You're so focused on Frederick that you, you, do, you do kind of forget at a certain point that this kid is gone. And uh, while I took an immense amount of pleasure in watching how this movie played out, um, I, I do think that buried deep down, there is a, a curious, um, I don't know, empathy confusion that is going on in the movie, which, again, I, I, I like being manipulated. And, and I like that the movie kind of challenges me to say, you know, this happened to people and you probably should feel something. But at the same time, you know, it, you are so far removed both temporally and distance from, from this that you can just sit back and enjoy it as like a fucking great little yarn. I, and I don't know, maybe that makes me a worse person, but that, that that's where I'm coming from in the movie. NJ. Yeah, I mean, I think that that right there tells you what sort of the imposter's... Um, goal is i mean the the fact that the missing kid is basically just the the occasion to tell this crazy story i you know it's not a film that's dedicated itself to finding him or finding the killer it's just telling the the crazy outcome of a kid that's gone missing um and the way it does it it's i mean it's a it's a cream dream supreme <laughs> that should just go on the poster. There really needs to be a pull quote for it. Yeah, great. So yeah, th- this is one of will definitely be in my top five. I'm sure by the end of the year. And it's as a you know someone who's trying to make documentaries. It's definitely um, the kind of movie where you sit down and you watch it, and it's you know this sort of like that is what I want to do. So. It was a great experience sitting and watching The Imposter. Yeah, I definitely I found it really inspiring <clears throat> as well. Can I echo and, it with um, the James Marsh movie um, Project Nim, which is uh, mm. I mean Nim actually has a, a, a large animal activism kind of component in that, but ultimately I I actually don't believe that whether Marsh intended that or whether the subjects feel that way, I look at Project Nim as this holy shit that happened story that I take an immense amount of pleasure in how it's, again, constructed in terms of its face-to-face and its reenactments and the blurring the line of all of those things. Um, I think it's, you know, The Imposter ultimately becomes one of these films that just says, wow, it's an exciting time to be watching documentaries. Yeah, no, I mean, I I was completely uh, floored when I saw uh, Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. I mean, that's a movie that really, again, uh, got me caught up emotionally. I know maybe there was a, a lot of people who felt that uh, the, the style sort of overwhelmed the, the story of the movie, but uh, I, I don't know. That was one of those documentaries that, to me, felt like it was it was elevated, and it, it really focused on something that felt very, very personal. Out other than it was getting all these rave reviews, didn't know anything about the backstory. Went in kind of cold, and it, it, it washed over me, and I was like kind of a mess throughout most of it. Um, 
But The Imposter, again, I'm going to be rewatching it, and I'm certainly um, going to look at a little bit more, but I, 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 I certainly love it in terms of how much, uh, how compelled I was by the story. And, you know, I, I, again, I wonder, you know, Layton tells the audience only what he wants us to know and when he wants us to know it, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. I think he's certainly in control and i think filmmakers you know what you know even just regular narrative uh filmmakers who you know tell fictional stories guys like paul thomas anderson they have a a control over the medium like very few people can and they know how to tell really interesting stories in very interesting ways and i will say that as a documentary this is definitely one of those that people need to see even you know, even just for the story itself, but the presentation and, like I said, the way the audio uh, was edited, just the certain stylistic touches I'd never seen before in a documentary, and I can't recommend it enough. Even if I have just a little bit of reservations, I don't think it's enough to say it's not worth seeing. It's it's definitely, absolutely worth seeing. I'm really excited to. Um, recommend this movie once it comes out to DVD and Blu-ray for everybody because I think they're good. It's, it's, it's one of those uh, conversation stimulators as you can see or hear <laughs> if you're listening to this. So I think that about wraps things up, guys. Uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, complying with my request to uh, come aboard and uh, discuss these two movies. Well, this was definitely a wonderful experiment. (laughs) (laughs) I just knew that they would warrant further conversation, and I was eager to hear your thoughts. Um, It was great to hear everyone's elaboration. So, again, much, much gratitude all around. Uh, So, yeah, Zach, where can everyone find you at these days? Um, well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, you've been Absolutely. on my show quite a few times. so um, It's about time I return the favor, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> um, you can find me over at uh, twitter.com, at Zach Batanti. I don't tweet a lot, though. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd and uh, watch my shitty student films on Vimeo. And then you can, of course, find me at the Film Jive podcast, which you can... Listen to over at iTunes and find on Facebook as well as at uh, filmjive.wordpress.com. And uh, I just have to say that it was a it was a pleasure talking to all three of you. And hopefully, I could talk to you guys sometime soon again. Great, Kurt. Where are you located at? Well, uh, you can find me at row3.com, uh, where the podcast that we record is hosted. Um, you, I, I'm sort of a, a podcasting whore, so I, I see me all over the place, hither and yon. You can also find me on the Twitter uh, at Triflick, T-R-I-F-L-I-C. Uh, you could find me occasionally doing video content at thesubstream.com. You can find my written reviews at twitchfilm.net, and um, you can watch uh, my kids review films on vimeo because it's been brought up uh so uh yeah there's uh man i spend far too much time doing this shit and we love you for it kurt jay what's going on where are you well i am at the documentaryblog.com where i post about maybe twice a month 
<laughs> and uh, you can find me at filmjunk.com uh, on the Film Junk podcast, which we're coming up to our 400th episode very Woo! soon. And uh, on Twitter at Jay Cheel. Excellent. And everybody, you probably know by now, you can check me out at Instant Gym on Twitter, directorsclubpodcast.com. And please do send us an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be returning next week to discuss the great Wong Kar Wai. And it's going to be a great show. We're going to be discussing the two films, Chung King Express and In the Mood for Love. So please uh, do tune in and check out those two films ahead of time if you wish. And send us an email to let us know what you think uh, ahead of time. And we'll read those emails on the show. We're trying that out if we know the two movies in advance. So, uh, yeah. Thanks again for uh, listening to the show. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. do that <laughs> i or, had i did have an older guy in my screening of compliance that was sitting in the back and every once in a while you hear him go oh she's gonna be in trouble <laughs> um, yeah if the guy on the phone forced the man to play to play footsies with her <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what that means. uh-oh wait wait